Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Softweb Radio. I'm your host today, Steve Valshuri. Software Up Radio on time on target, and uh, we have a very special guest with us today. Uh, we have Sean, also known as Buck Rogers, Green <laughs> Beret. He's an author. Uh, we're going to talk about Sean's book. And uh, by the way, uh, I have to say, I love the nickname Buck, so uh, Buck Rogers is perfect. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Sean has written a book. It's um, it's called rising above and uh, he talks about a simple car accident changed the life of him when he was six years old and everything from that point forward pretty much went haywire for him until basically he he became an adult and and we're going to get into all that but sean is a uh, he's a green beret he was a police officer he's now an entrepreneur and he has my utmost respect. He's also an ultra marathoner, which, uh, hey, you know, uh, all I'll say is when I was in SF, I ran because I had to, not because I like to. And I ran a half marathon once and said I would never do it again. So anyone who can do an ultra marathon is tops in my book. He also does a great podcast called the FNG Academy. So now we have a guy from the FNG Academy talking to a FOG. And for those of you who uh, don't know what that means, you can look it up. So, Sean, welcome to Software Radio. Thanks. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate you having me on. And that was a, that was a great intro, man. I like that. I definitely yeah, I mean, love yeah, talking to FOG. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm definitely an FOG. And uh, we'll, we'll, I'm going to date myself here shortly when we get into it. But uh, one of the things I, I really liked, because, you know, when uh, I got your book, I started checking out your podcast. The podcast is really excellent, by the way. Well, thank and you. And I encourage all of our, uh, <clears throat> our all of our listeners to check that out as well. It's the FNG Academy, and it's all about creating a mindset. And it covers a lot of the things that I've written about, because one of the things that SoftRep asked me to write about was for people that want to challenge themselves and get into special operations and. How do you prepare? And I think that it delves a lot into that, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's kind of the goal is to help people. Even if you're not trying to go special operations, you could use the mindsets of becoming special operations in whatever career path that you're trying to go. So, you know, regardless of what you choose to do with your life, 
we all we all give a lot of respect to special operations guys for a very specific reason. That's because they've overcome so many mental and physical challenges to get to that point. So first, how did they do that? How do we break that down and help guys become special operations and influence the next generation of warriors um, to be better than we were so we could have, you know, an even more elite army than we already do now? And for guys like us who moved on from the military, we could be safer at home. But then also, how do we take those mindsets and apply them to everybody else so we could just be better people in our country? And, you know, I think focusing on ourselves and looking inward instead of outward um, will have a huge impact on the future of our country, especially in today's environment, more than just, you know, being negative and, and trying to tear each other down. Right. And uh, let's let's get right into your book, because, um, you know, the, this book is, is, as I said at the outset, I mean, it's not um, it's not your typical SF guy book. It's not about all the accolades and, you know, who are war stories that, you know, although you delve into that, but it's about, you know, it's a like a personal journey for you and mm-hmm. how you changed your life because your life. And I, I want you to, you know, basically tell our listeners all about this, but your life could have easily gone a different direction. Yes. Yeah. It, it could have gone a different direction. It was going a different direction. It wasn't like, um, I was far off that path. I was actually headed, headed down, getting arrested. I'd been in the back of police cars, um, a couple of times I was drinking and doing, um, pills myself by the time I was in, man, was it probably freshman year of high school? At least I was, you know, taking pills and, and drinking. And then I, my first time getting drunk, I was like 13 or 14, um, and just hanging out with the, a bad crowd. So, you know, it was definitely headed that direction. And I felt like, it was just so normal in my environment to go down that path. You know, when, when you grow up and you're, you know, your mom's addicted to opioids because of the car accident and the doctors just kept pumping her full of pills nonstop. Um, and then to watch her spiral and then to, you know, grow up on welfare and uh, live in a trailer, you know, you surround yourselves by, by people that accept you. Um, and likely they accept you because they're in similar circumstances. So then all of a sudden, everyone's in a similar circumstance as you. So you're just like, well, it's normal that we're breaking the law and stealing cars and doing all this dumb stuff. Um, so I'm just going to keep going down this path, you know. And But there was always like this underlying feeling that I was meant for something better and that this wasn't the life I was supposed to be living. And that's that's how the book starts off. I mean, it you know, going through all that childhood trauma that that you had and you know you kind of realized that the the light came on for you at an early age you you know uh you talked about um your dad and your mom had split when you were still an infant basically so yeah you didn't you didn't get to meet your dad until i think it was about you know 15 years old and right your your dad was living a different kind of lifestyle than you were used to and kind of the light came on for you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So the, you know, the stress of my childhood from, man, I I would say like six when we got in that car accident and then my mom got addicted to pills. um, And then she started drinking on top of it. The stress every day was just immense in like that. That was part that was probably the hardest is like the constant stomach sinking feeling that you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know how bad it's going to get. You don't know what's going to happen next. You know, like, you know, I came home and, and I've said this on other podcasts, but it was, it was such a monumental moment for me is when, you know, she drove the car into the house and into this, her boyfriend's house, who's like this raging alcoholic. And um, I've seen him, you know, beat her multiple times. And now you just drove your car into his house. So it's like, what is this guy going to do to you? What is he going to do to us? And and why is this normal? Like, how did, how do we get to the point in our lives where this is normal behavior and we don't even bat an eye to the fact that you're, you're doing just such nonsense. And then he responds by shooting his shotgun through the front door. 
um, of the house and, you know, the multiple car accidents that she was in because she's always doing 90 and, and high on pills. Um, so th- I think it was just the level of stress as a kid that really stuck with me and, and caused a lot of anxiety and um, behavioral problems as I went. And then, yes, like you said, I, I finally met my my dad when I was like 15 and he flew us out to New York to visit him. And he was like the successful business owner. He had a restaurant and um, was brewing beer and like all these people. It just like blew my mind to to walk into his restaurant and see like the servers and the bartenders. And they're all like, oh, Mr. Rogers, this and Mr. Rogers. that. And I'm like, man, like I've never had a, a you know, parent that was respected before then that was like treated with respect and dignity. I was like, this is crazy. Like I, this is a life to live. I want to, you know, I want to come over here. And so that was where I started to make the decision that I had to get out of uh, the desert and, and improve my situation. Yeah. At that time you were living um, in California, your dad was all the way across the country. And then uh, you, you ended up moving with your dad for a short while, but even though you became a little bit of an entrepreneur yourself, that kind of got pulled out from under you as well. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I thought going to my dad's would be like new beginnings. Um, and I was really excited for the the future. And, you know, I got there and I'd spent so many years just without any money. And, you know, sometimes we went without food. So to go to his house and then all of a sudden they're like buying me clothes and stuff to start the new year. Uh, the new school year, I was like, this is amazing. Like I've never had this before. Um, I, I I spent most of my time, you know, cleaning my shoes from the last year to, to get ready for school and, you know, trying to find clothes that weren't as bad, you know, hand-me-downs and things like that. So, you know, all of a sudden for him to just be buying me all these brand new clothes and brand new shoes for the school year, I was like, and people respected him. I was like, this is, this is going to be an amazing life. Like this is the new start. And, you know, and it just wasn't. So he ended up, I think it was either a year or two years after moving in with him, he decided that he was going to move to Colorado. And I was like, I don't, at first I was like, okay, I'll go with you guys to Colorado. Maybe it'll be a fun move. And everything was fine. And then I changed my mind. Cause I was like, you know what? I had a hell of a time transitioning into this high school. Like I got jumped multiple times, you know, and I, I was fighting all the time and, and getting in trouble. I didn't want to do that again. Like it finally started to smooth out. So I told him, I was like, I'm not going. And that's when all hell broke loose. He started, you know, cutting my screens cause we were doing a screen printing business. And so he starts cutting my screens up and, you know, he like took all my clothes and everything and, and told me that he gave them away um, to charity. They ended up being locked in the basement, but, it was just like, here we are again. It's like, I thought I escaped it. And now this guy is like pulling the same kind of things that my mom would do. And yeah. And that's where, uh, again, you struck out on your own. You kind of found yourself once again, and then life threw you another curve. And that's how you ended up in the military. Can you uh, talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So you know, being out on my own was, was tough, you know, trying to finish my senior year. And I was just hopping from one friend's couch to another, um, which that brought a lot of different challenges, right? Cause at first the friend's mom's all, their parents are all cool about it. And they're like, yeah, I could stay here. And then, you know, like clockwork, it would take like two weeks and they'd be like, how long is he going to stay here? And I, you know, and I could feel that, like that tension and that shift, you know, they felt like I was just kind of, uh, freeloading. So I would just go to someone else's house and keep that going until finally a buddy of mine, his mom was like, listen, I won't kick you out of here as long as you go to school. And I was like, sweet. So I stayed with her, um, and my buddy Billy until I graduated high school. I met this girl, she was in college. And then, um, we ended up, getting married, moving to California. And then that's when I think we were married for like, I want to say like four or five months. It was so short. And, uh, I walked in, I came home one night and she was in bed with another dude. 
and that's when again you could have made the wrong decision and you know gone down the dark path i guess would be a way of putting it but you pulled yourself back up once again and that's mm-hmm. what the story so compelling you end up joining the military you end up going to uh, rip the, for the ranger program and you got hurt in there and Talk to us a little bit about that and how you ended up in SF, because that was an amazing part of the book as well. <laughs> yeah, so I went to, I signed up. So, yeah, so she cheated on me. I ended up um, trying to go firefighter. I got kicked out of firefighter school for getting in a fight. The next day I signed up for the military, went to ranger selection. I got hurt. Um, and then from there I went to 173rd out in Germany which I just tried to see the positive in that. I was like, you know what? I'm going to come back to special operations in some capacity because I felt really at home when I was around those guys. You know, everyone's just like busting their butts all the time. And they're always giving 100% effort. And I felt really good. As soon as I got around other guys trying to go special operations, I felt at home. Like It's contagious. Yes, yes. It's absolutely contagious. And it was like, you know, in, in basic guys would like talk crap to you. And you're just like, dude, we could fight right now. Like I have no issues. Like I'm not a squared away person. Like I got a lot of problems and then, and then they back off and it's like, they just wanted to push you to that edge. Right. But they felt kind of protected by the military. Like, Oh, we have all these rules. You're not allowed to fight. So he won't fight me. And then I got around, you know, and it pissed me off And in, then I got around special forces guys or, or guys trying to go, um, into ranger selection and it was like 100 not the case it was like listen we don't we don't push each other because we know that we will go that far you know and so the respect level actually increased with those guys because it's like listen i know you're an a type i know that you're aggressive i know that you know you're you don't play around and if i push you yeah i'm gonna get punched in the face so um i started to feel a lot more at home with those dudes so anyway, so I got hurt. I went to 173rd, um, and then I was a, I was a cook at that point because that's the contract I signed. So I had to fight to get out of that, and ended up scoring a personal security job with the sergeant major uh, for the upcoming Afghan deployment. And then um, I spent that entire deployment just training. I knew I wanted to go back and be around those guys again. So I spent yeah, you, that time. You, you met some SF guys well over in Afghanistan too. Yeah. Yeah. So I wasn't sure. I didn't know that I was going to go Green Beret. I was like, I knew I was going to go back to special operations. I, I essentially, I wanted to go back to the Ranger Regiment um, and try that again. And then uh, I saw some guys in Afghanistan and they had just gotten done with a tick, uh, troops in contact. And the bird, the medics were offloading them from the bird. And one guy was had a through and through through both the back of both of his legs. Um, one guy was dead. And then I just remember seeing his friend too, like the guy that was carrying him. And they were all dirty, you know, covered in dust. You could tell that like they had just been in the shit like to a whole nother level. And I'm looking at his wrist and, you know, now we all wear these memorial bracelets when we lose friends. And unfortunately too many of us have them on, but I looked at this guy's wrist and he had, not only was he carrying in like a, one of his friends that just passed away, one of his teammates, but his wrist was just covered in these bracelets. I, he must have at least like four bracelets. Mm. And, and I'm like, this guy, this guy, and he's about, not only is he about to like drop off his friend that was just killed, And he's already lost so many people just from looking at his wrist alone. He's about to get back on the bird and go back into it. So like when I saw that and, and, and I saw just this group of men and what they were doing and what they had just gone through, like it changed my perspective on like what tough is. And I wanted to see if I could, you know, step into their shoes or even be considered to be as tough as those guys were. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. It's like when you go into it, and again, like I'm I'm dating myself. When I went into SF, I mean, all all the older guys that were training us, you know, we looked up to them, and and I I always remember it's like, man, these guys look like they chew nails every day for breakfast. <laughs> yeah. 
but I remember, um, you know, and he, this was an older NCO. He had come from the Ranger Battalion. And I always thank my lucky stars that this guy was in my class. And he was like, don't look at the big picture, dude. He was like, forget about down the road. Forget about six months from now. Think about getting through until lunch. Mm-hmm. If we make it to lunch, that's a victory. If we get out of lunchtime and we make it till the end of the day when they, you know, turn the lights down in Camp McCall, that's a victory, man. And that's Boom. all we're going to do every day. And I remember that's uh, how we all got through that because, it, it, and you talked about it in, in your podcast, it's that mindset. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that's the best advice anyone could ever give to someone who's aspiring to be um, special operations in any capacity is how much or even or even just dealing with trauma in life in general is how much can you pull out of the big picture and then narrow in your mindset, narrow in your focus, rather, all the way up to the next step. Like if you could do that from, you know, 100 meters out all the way into your very next step, depending on how bad your situation is, like there's almost nothing that you can't accomplish. Right. And you, you mentioned that in your book, uh, how... It, you know, we're interdependent on each other at times, especially during, you know, you talked about SFAS and, uh, you know, how one of your friends, uh, a guy that you were, you know, in your club, he had reached that point and, you know, he he kind of, you know, kicked in it in and, and quit. And, yeah, he, he, you know, and, and then you talked to, um, I think it was, uh, it, was it Sear School? When you talked about another guy, another friend of yours started humming this uh, this song because that was what. Got yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was in Sears school, and he started he started singing Bubble Guppies. <laughs> was that the one? And I was yeah. like, and I had, and my daughter was his his daughter's age, so I knew Bubble Guppies because they were both obsessed with it. And I was like, dude, what are you doing? I was like, that's the worst song I've ever heard, dude. Would you stop? And he was just like. He was just like, I got to go home, man. He's like, what am I doing here? And it just like, it hit him like a ton of bricks. He was like, I'm missing out on my daughter's time right now. I'm missing out on my family. I'm missing out on everything sitting there. And he like, it just took him over all this negative negativity and, 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 you know, looking too far in the future. And I was just like, listen, dude, one day at a time, stop worrying about the future. This is going to benefit your family in the long run. So get out of your head and let's do this. And it's crazy to watch guys like they really do, you know, and, and that's one thing I learned from that situation is because he wasn't a weak person by any means. I mean, he, he graduated. He's a great dude. Um, super solid. But like you said, we're interdependent. So my highs and my lows are almost never going to match up to the guy to my left and to my right. So it's, it, it, works out perfectly that way because then when you're having a low and someone else is just feeling really good for some reason and they're like dude just get past it let's do this let's crush this it's gonna be awesome and you're like you know it's they're always just there for you yeah it's funny because uh when when i was listening to that i believe you talked about that too on another it might have been one of your podcasts or somebody else's but you were talking about that moment. And I remember because sometimes humor gets us through some of the tough times because oh, yeah. uh, uh, when I was going through Sears school, we, one of the guys, he was in our SF group, but the, he was in a different battalion. He was this really funny dude. And he could imitate. You remember that guy that used to be out, Bobcat Goldthwait, the, the guy that used to scream and, and uh, I'm probably dating myself, but anyway, he, <laughs> he could imitate this guy and it sounded exactly like him. And he kept saying, when we get in the sear compound, you know, when you're a POW, I'm going to do my imitation. So everyone's like, yeah, you say, you're not going to do that shit. So, you know, sure enough, uh, you know, about two days in, you're beat down. Everyone, they get the bag on your head. They're smacking guys around. Of course, when the bag's on your head. You never know where it's coming from. Oh, yeah, so, that's the worst. Yeah, and th- that's the worst time. And then all of a sudden, I, you could hear somebody get whacked, <laughs> you know, that was real close to you. And he imitated Bob Goldthwait saying, eh, that don't hurt. 
that don't hurt. <laughs> and then everyone cracked up laughing and you knew what was going to happen. Well, then they started wading through. And uh, so then all of a sudden you could hear these guys just thumping this kid. And they were like, what do you say now? And then you could hear him on the ground all muffled under his, <laughs> his, his hood. He goes, that hurts a lot, dude. That hurts a lot. <laughs> but I remember that got us through the rest of the day because, you know. Oh, heck yeah. We all cracked up laughing. and uh, Yeah. And then my buddy Wade, uh, I ended up going to the warrant courts with, you know, uh, Wade used to get us all soaked down in your little cell because he would constantly yell at the guards asking them what time it was. (laughs) And he got beat up for it, but that was his way, you know, and it's like, and we would all sit there and laugh and I'd be finally get dry and be, don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah, don't said, do it. Don't ask. He'd, yeah, he'd bang on the door. Hey, what time is it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's amazing some of the stuff you remember because you know, when, listening to your podcast that immediately brought me back to my school days. <laughs> That's but, awesome. Yeah, but it, it's like you know, and everyone has situations like that. But SFAS is, I mean. That separates the wheat from wheat from the chaff, does it not? Oh yeah. Well, and then you know, it's easy for us to like fall in this trap about how it used to be tough. I mean, I I only graduated. I only went to selection. You know, and this is gonna be embarrassing talking to you because this is gonna be like it's so, it's so recent. But I only went to selection in 2013. It was like 2012, 2013. I'm pretty sure. Um, and so you know, obvious and already you know, guys that went in selection the time that I did are saying about the guys going now, like, oh, they don't do this and they don't do that. And it's, it's the Q course is not as hard and this isn't as hard. And it's like, man, we're, I know you're probably looking at like, you guys are all brand new. No, but but it's funny because you say that. And I heard the same thing when I went through, you know, the, there was all the old Vietnam vets and they were like, oh, this Q course is a gentleman's course compared to what we went through. And then, you know, we said the same things. And yeah. And so I, uh, I just, it, I, I look at the guys today. I think the guys today are much better physical condition than out of us ever were, you know? And it, the mindset just doesn't change and the, the, the hardships, the fears, all of that stuff doesn't change. And that's what makes, you know, an SF, in my opinion, that's what makes a special forces guy is he's willing to ignore the fear of the fact that, you know, it's going to be difficult. You know, you're going to get, um, you know, you're going to be at the losing end more than you're, than you're at the winning end. And you are able to ignore that fear and put one step, one foot in front of the other and keep going until you run out of, you know, obstacles. And so regardless of what they take away or add, you know, it's just like, it's hard and it's going to make hard people. You know, I don't care what year you went through. Um, I had somebody tell me, he was like, I went through at this time and you need to stop telling them how easy it's going to be. You know, they'll, you you need to give them the truth about how hard it is. And I'm like, what purpose does that do? You know, like just fill everyone with a bunch of like, negativity like come on man just just so you um feel like you're the toughest person that's ever walked the face of the planet like that's not my goal you know there's there's far tougher there's far tougher dudes out there and girls out there that never even tried special operations that would put me to shame you know so yeah and you know i'm gonna really date myself now because i went through sf before there was a selection course so when they started it, I was levied for SWIC, and I had already been to O&I. And <clears throat> so I'm like, oh, they need guys at O&I because I had talked to the guys over there, and they were like, yeah, we have like four slots over there. And I'm like, great. If I got to do SWIC time, I'll do it in O&I. And then they were like, oh, we're starting up selection. And I'm like, what the hell is that, you know? <laughs> and uh, so the sergeant major's like, oh, you're going out there to selection. So we get out there and they had already run through the first two classes that, you know, they were getting ready to gear up for the third one. And the major's telling us all the stuff that, you know, that they're trying to accomplish. And I was like, wow, this looks tough. And he goes, yeah. And you guys won't have to wear numbers, but you're going to be in the class. What do you mean? We're going to be in the class. Well, <laughs> before you can work here, you have to go through selection. 
I'm like, you gotta be shitting me. So <laughs> when you're, yeah, when you're already an SF guy, and then you're going through selection, it wasn't fun. I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and lie to you and tell you it was a breeze because I was miserable. And, uh, and of course, the candidates, you know, they're, they're looking at us because they're seeing us. You know, they put a team together of just already tab guys. So, you know, we, we kept our patches on, our tabs on, but we weren't wearing numbers. But the, the kids were looking at us like, you know, why are these guys? <laughs> they finally asked one of us. One, we were going out to the land nav course. You're in those those big trucks, you know, that they take you out there. And, and uh, so we're riding out to Hoffman, and this kid goes to one of our kids. Hey, can I ask you something? Sure, go ahead. And they said to him, uh, why are you guys tabbed out in here, you know, and going through selection? So we were all looking at each other like, you want to tell them? So the guy said, this guy, Brian, look, he's passed away now. But Brian looked at him and said, well, we're, we're all in competition to go up on the next shuttle mission because they're going to send one SF instructor up on the next shuttle. <laughs> So we have to go through selection and then we're going down and do astronaut training when we leave here. Oh, and that's they, awesome. And then, you know, by this time the kids are all, you know, burnt out, they're tired already. And they were just like, what? SF guys going up in space. And I was just <laughs> looking out the back of the truck going, Oh my God, here we go. You know, but. Well, now you got space force. So that's not even like yeah, an unfeasible. Now, now thing. We, have, we actually have space force guys, you know, the Star Trek logo and everything. So, yeah. But yeah, um, no, SFAS, I, you know, when I talked to the guy that revamped the course a few years ago, um, Brian Decker, uh, he was a major. And I think it's tougher now. I, I really do. I, I think it's tougher now than when we went through. Good. Um, I haven't been, you know, I haven't been out there. I've asked to go as a journalist now to go check in, but Swick won't let me out there. So, uh, I, I, I would love to. I would love to go check it out. But from what I heard, SFAS is not easier. It's harder. You know, we keep hearing things about the Q course, but I I was hearing that when I went through. So yeah, you know. it's it's not going to change because you know some people they get that status and they got to hold on to that status. You know, I was never, you know, I to me, yeah, I, I passed and I I was it was one of the best jobs I ever did, but. I'm not looking in the past. I'm looking in the future. Like what, what else can I make with my life? What else could I accomplish? Um, that was just one of the things that I did and I loved it and it's on to the next thing, you know? And if, if you're one of those guys that's, you know, so focused on what you did in the past and to the point where it's like upsets you when there's any changes to it, it's like, you got to look in the future. You got to find the next challenge. You know, that's, exactly. that's the type of people we are. Don't, don't just focus on your, your past accomplishments i i tell everyone i went through the first easy class so <laughs> you know hmm. it's like but anyway yeah and yeah i i got off on a tangent there but getting back to the book and then you, you know you had made it clear that you were kind of thinking about the army as a career but then things changed during one of your deployments can you talk about that a little bit yeah so you know i was on deployment with my oda um we had an amazing train up. We did, you know, our team did a great job in train up. We were all very new and I was having a blast. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. I love this. And so I decided I was going to sign up, you know, in Afghanistan, I was going to sign a five-year contract and then go to ranger school uh, when I got back from deployment. And then, you know, things just changed. Like the, the team started getting a lot of rift with the the team sergeant. We, you know, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I kind of felt like the way he was acting was, it was just making me feel like I was back, you know, living with my mom who was like manipulative and, um, you know, just putting a damper on me as a person and in my life. And I was like, this sucks. And a lot of us had issues, you know, and, and one of my guys, one of the teammates got out um, and went to law school I ended up getting out. Two other guys were already scheduled to get out, but they, they couldn't get out soon enough. And it was just, you know, he, he, I think he was chasing that last deployment high to try and like, you know, get in as much as he could. And 
Um, when it didn't work out, he, you know, kind of went haywire. But anyway, so either way, regardless of how he was, I, I made the decision that it was time to find a job that I could do as a civilian where I didn't have a contract hanging over my head. And if I had a boss I didn't like again, I could move on, mm-hmm. you know. So from there, I was like, I spent, you know, a lot of time journaling downrange and trying to figure out what I could do, what I'd be good at, you know, what kind of civilian career would suit me. And um, from there, I, f- I started school back up. You know, he, him being the way that he was on that deployment, and I, he, he's a good dude. He really is. He just had, um, we had a bad run as a team with him, but he, he's a great person. And he's done a lot for the regiment as far as training um, mm-hmm. and, and what he's done for stuff. But he really got in motion a lot of things for me because, he got me back in school. He got me to start thinking outside the box and pushing myself to think of other things to do with my life and what I was going to do next. So I got back in school. I started applying to the FBI, the CIA, police departments, um, and then ended up getting a job at the Denver Police Department. A minute ago, you uh, you mentioned you started journaling. Is this when you first started writing? So. I've always like journaled on and off. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I realized I didn't do it enough, but I realized as I was journaling that it was so helpful. And then that deployment especially really started the, like to see how beneficial journaling was because it's like you write in your journal today, you're having a bad day. You're, you're pissed off. You had a bad day. You're, you just, you want to, you know, break something. So you write in your journal about it. Like, dude, I can't believe this happened. I'm super pissed. This is how I feel. And then two days later, you you scroll through your journal and you read that that article or that you wrote or that you know um, entry that you put in there, and you're like, man, I can't believe how mad I was in that moment. I can't believe how like frustrated I got. And then a day later, it was like it didn't exist. So it just it kind of helps you see that there's a cycle to um, frustration and trials and tribulations that you face and you could see the backside of it you know so it really started helping me get through it because i'm like when bad things were happening i was like okay last time this happened based on that you know journal entry i was feeling this way and literally a day later i was feeling better so i was like i could just calm down and you know it'll get through it um but once i got home from that deployment and started with the police department that's that's when things like really started to, you know, kind of click with my PTSD and, you know, what we experienced in war started mixing with what I experienced as a kid. And now we're adding it to um, the streets of being a cop and seeing child molesters and seeing uh, spouse abusers and seeing all these things. That's when I really start having issues and needing to journal more often. And that's when the book kind of um, started for me. So you you actually started thinking about the book while you were still a police officer. Oh, yeah. So I started writing that book, um, despite how short it is. Uh, it took me it took me a long time to get to the point where it is. I've been working on that book for a couple of years, um, and that's because I would just dig in a little bit and then, you know, move on and then dig in a little bit and and it was more supposed to be just a process for me to heal. And then by the end of it, I was like, you know what, this could help somebody. So I'm just going to put it out there. And instead of like, you know, looking at, looking at it now, when I have the book in my hands, I'm like, man, this kind of reads just like, it's basically just a long journal of what I went through, how it affected me, the highlights that stuck with it. Cause there's so much more, you know, there, there's so many more instances from my childhood, from the deployment, like I got lists, but those were the ones that highlight. And those were the ones that I needed to go back and deal with, um, for my own healing. So, yeah, I've, I've been working on that for a long time. And, um, that book is, is sort of the result of that process of healing for me. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. Now, was it a difficult transition? I know, like you said, you were keeping a journal basically as a healing tool for yourself, but now, <clears throat> now you're kind of putting it all out there for the public to read. I know you said it would help people, but how difficult was that to kind of, you know, air your dirty laundry, so to speak? Uh, you know what I mean? Oh, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely mm-hmm. difficult. It was it's probably honestly one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it until the book became available to the public. And then I was like, Oh my God, like it or not, you can't put the lid back on this can of worms. And that was really hard. And I had honestly, I didn't even dig into my past on podcasts or anything in depth until I did cleared hot with Andy. Um, because we talked for three hours, you know, and it's like, that was the first time I really unboxed it. And luckily we did that because, you know, the response we got from that was so positive that it gave me confidence that, Hey, maybe the book will actually do what I intended it to do. And it will help people. But putting that out there was extremely, and it still is to this moment is extremely difficult, you know? And, um, you know, obviously my family, is afraid of what they're going to hear. So I get messages constantly of, Hey, your, your mom's looking for you. Your sister's looking for you. They're, they're, you know, talking about suing you and all this stuff. I'm like, the book hasn't even come out yet. And you guys are talking about trying to come attack me for the things I said. I'm like, you're just gonna have to wait and see, see for yourself. Right. And and to our listeners out there, we're recording this on uh, Saturday afternoon, February 20th. And Sean's book doesn't actually um, go on sale for the uh, for the public until the Feb- February 23rd, isn't it? Yeah, so 23rd is the official release date. Um, but they started we started getting them out there a little sooner just so we can get some <clears throat> some feedback and some reviews. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are like a small group of people that got it um, early and started digging in. So, and thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I was uh, privileged to get one of the advanced copies and, uh, that's uh, how we're generating our conversation here today. Cause it was, uh, it's not, um, it's not one of those kind of books that's, um, always pleasant, but it, it's, uh, it's very compelling and it's powerful. It really is. And, I, you already answered my next question because I was going to ask you, you know, it seemed like you had this love-hate relationship with your mother. I'm not putting words in your mouth, but, you know, because of what you went through. And I was going to ask you, is, has this kind of healed some of the bridges between you two? But it doesn't no, sound no, like that. No, no. We haven't. I haven't talked to her and man, it's been like 12 years. Um and then, like I said, she found out about the book and now it's just my family members letting me know that she's like trying to get a hold of me and trying to find me. So, um, you know, she has these 
grand ideas of uh, making money and suing me and whatever. So, you know, it goes on. The fight continues. It's not, this isn't things that, you know, are all in my past. Like I'm still having to deal with some of these things and still, still having to deal with a lot of it actually. So, you know, unfortunately that's, that's probably a reason why a lot of people don't tell their stories that, that have had similar stories. They can't get it out there because they're afraid of the backlash. And, you know, for me, I was just, it's like, whatever, this is what I want to do. I got to send it. I can't, I can't fill myself with, with worry about something that's likely to never happen. So she's still struggling with her issues. From oh yeah. Life. Yeah. That's too bad. Yeah. So I, last I, you know, it was a while back, but um, someone put her on speaker when they called them. Uh, and it was, you could barely hear what she was saying. It was mm. so, it, you know, she's just slurring her words, you know, super heavy and all this stuff. And it's like, ah, here we go. It's unfortunately, and you know, I've spent, yeah. And I've spent years, you know, my brother spent years, uh, hoping and praying that she would come around, you know, but we're still here all this time later. Unfortunately, we're still in a place where she doesn't seem to have come around and that's really unfortunate and sad. You know, um, to ask a personal question, I, I know like an SF and, you know, we come to rely on each other. The, that trust factor is there um, implicitly. I mean, you know, uh, every day you have to be able to trust the guys around you. And that's one thing that, that has never changed uh, through the years. And for somebody who grew up in that kind of uh, atmosphere, was it tough to get the uh, – for you to trust some of the other guys around you or was the environment so different? that that wasn't an issue for you. Oh yeah. The, for me, it was, I, I needed that more than anybody else did. You know, like there were some guys on the team that, you know, on, on every team that they had good, you know, um, childhoods, they had good families. So this was more of a, a job, you know, and, and of course they trusted each other, but they didn't rely on, on some kind of like uh, mental support, you know, and things like that. But for me, you know, this was, this was the closest thing to a family that I had ever had. And so I really needed that, um, trust and, and support and, and that, you know, that's probably why it probably hurt me more than most when things kind of went haywire on that deployment, because, you know, I relied on those, those relationships, like, and so I wouldn't say that it was more difficult for me to get them. I, I would say it was more difficult for me to lose them. And in, in, in that vein, um, I know, and myself included in this, when it comes time to transition from the military, um, and many vets struggle with this. I mean, was was it a hard transition for you, even though you were going into a similar type of uh, atmosphere with the police department? Yes, um, because it, the police department is still different enough. Like maybe if you're coming from uh, a support job, and going into the police department, it'll be a lot similar. Um, but coming from special operations and going to the street, you know, as a police officer was, was extremely different. I found a couple guys that, um, you know, a few guys and girls that I think would hack well in special operations. And I tried to stay with them because they had very similar mindsets. And, um, you know, some guys were prior special, special operations. Um, so I just tried to stick with them as close as I could. But there's always those people that you wonder, you know, just like in the army that you wonder, like, what are you doing here? Like, mm -hmm. you don't seem to have the same mentality um, and you don't even seem to like it. And for a lot of people, you know, because the police departments, at least in Denver, they pay amazing. Like it's, oh, really? you know, it's like, yeah, it's it's I think their base at PO PO one is like ninety three thousand a year. And then you could work off duty to where most people at PO one are making well over a hundred thousand a year. So, but it's like, just because the problem with that, you know, that's great. Cops should, should make that much. They should make more. But the problem with that is some people get so attached to the money that even though they're disenchanted with the job itself, they keep doing it because they get paid so well. And it's like those people kind of were hard to be around and you don't really have that in special forces because it's like, listen, this job is harder 
and you're not making, I mean, you'll make a little more for demo pay and, and things like that, but you're, you're making pretty much the, your rank isn't going to change. You're here because you want to be here and you want to do the, this job. And that was a big mindset shift. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I read in, in your book that, you know, because of the events that happened a, a year ago, or less than a year ago, really, that that uh, changed your mindset with the police department. And now, you know, you, you're an entrepreneur because uh, pressure from, actually seemed like in the book you were talking about pressure from both sides because pressure of being a, a street cop, especially during 2020 and we all know what was going on all across the country right and then the police department wasn't really um giving you guys the support you guys should have had right and that was the biggest thing for me is the police department as a whole the just didn't have our backs like fine you know you the public is um being heavily persuaded by the media i understand that i understand that their frustration you know i'm like i get it you know uh, we all turn on the news in the morning and and get pissed off about something or other that Fox or CNN is trying to push us in their direction. Um, but what I can't accept is the department giving into the media and the the department kind of coming after us, like you know. And honestly, like and I'm speaking on on behalf of most of the cops that I know, is like they made us feel like like criminals. They made us feel like trash, and we really didn't feel like the department was going to support us and, and have our backs. Um, and that was, that was a big realization for me. Cause think about it. You're going out with the public, with a gun, with a lot of um, authority and, you know, dealing with situations you, even as law enforcement, you shouldn't be involved in, you know, and now the department's not going to support you if, and when, not if, but when, things go wrong because things always go wrong when you're, you're a police officer. Like that's what you're there for things that aren't going right. You know? So I was like, I felt like I was just, if I kept working there, then I accepted the fact that I was going to either pull back from what I was doing. Cause I was on a special team and we we're um, proactive team going after, um, you know, guns and drugs illegal guns and stolen guns on, on gang members and, and felons. I was either going to pull back and not do my job out of fear of the department and, and lawsuits. And we were losing um, qualified immunity and all this stuff. And, or I was putting my family at risk every day I went to work because the the department really didn't support us. So I chose that that kind of stress was not something I was willing to continue with. So you made the transition again, and now you, you, you have your FNG Academy and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, you talk about that mindset, but uh, how difficult is it now for you to keep that focus moving forward because now you're in a totally new realm now, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's right now for me. And, you know, some people will say like, oh, you just hop from one thing to the next. And it's like, you know what? That's not an easy thing to do. And if you if you think that it's cowardice or weak to hop from one thing to the next, then give it a try sometime. It's, it's extremely difficult um, to not just buckle down and say, you know what? Well, this pays well and I'm comfortable I'm going to stay here. So right now things are working exceptionally well. Um, but at the same time, I'm still, I feel like I'm in an ocean trying to find land because there's no, there's no playbook for this whole, like whatever it is that I do now with the, with what am I like a, yeah, an author, entrepreneur, what influencer you too. I don't know. You know, yeah. so yeah, you know, it's like, I don't even know what that means. People ask me what I do now and I just laugh. I'm like, I don't know. That's, that's what made me laugh because uh, I was somewhere recently and somebody said, tell me about yourself. You know, wh who are you? What do you do? And I was like, that's a really good question. I, I don't know. I mean, 
you know, a, a lot of times when you spend so many years in SF, you say, oh, well, I'm a Green Beret, but that's not who I am. That was right. my job. I mean, that was my life, but that's not really who I am. And then somebody asked me that now, and I'm like, I don't know. Am I a journalist? Yeah. I, I, right. I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I'm still trying to grow up. I'm, I'm, uh, I don't know what I am right now. Right. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. And it's yeah. like, yeah. but that's, and that's what it is. Like, even though, um, and I hate to say, like, when you're special forces or when you're a police officer, like you rely so much on that identity. Cause even though, even if you don't, even a normal conversation, when someone says, Oh, Hey, what are you like? Oh, well, I'm a father, you know, I'm a husband, but I also go to work as a police officer. And then they're like, Oh, it, it feels natural, you know? So even if you're not one of those people that are hanging on to that identity, still having a profession that people acknowledge as a legitimate profession, it helps conversation, you know, and it, and it helps people understand where you are in your life. But when they ask me now, they're like, oh, what do you do? I was at jujitsu the other day and I'm trying out a new gym and um, love it, by the way. This is like, it's called Gale Force. It's sick. But, and I'm like, they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like I have a, a YouTube channel. I have a book. Um, I try to motivate people and I don't know what that means. And, and that is difficult because first of all, not only just perspective wise for myself, but now my family is depending on me as a provider. I have a kid on the way and I'm pursuing something that I cannot guarantee her is going to bring X amount of dollars at X amount of time and have this health insurance. And, and it's like, so, but I can't stop. I got to make it, I got to make whatever this is. It's, it's moving in the right direction. I just don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about because it's just yeah. recently I, <clears throat> I've been talking to my VA counselor and she calls me that right now where everything's online because of the COVID. She asked me the same question, you know, well, <clears throat> where, where do you see yourself? And I was like, hell, I don't know. I'm just trying to get through today. I mean, it's yeah. like, I don't even know what I'm going to be next, next year. You know, it's like, right. It's tough. I mean, you know, we, we kind of identify with our position, but it doesn't really mean that's who we are. So. Right. Yeah. yeah so, so, so now I, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Um, no, go right ahead. So now, you know, the book, it technically doesn't release and for three more days. Um, and somehow through the pre pre-release and um, yeah, I think it was just through pre-release, but we hit like, uh, like three uh, bestseller categories. So that's an amazing feeling. Right. Um, but at the same time, like, what do you do with that? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, what do I just get to upgrade my, upgrade my, my Instagram to a blue check or something, but like, yeah. how, how do I make this, into uh, a monetization and how do I, how do I make this career into something that not only is making me happy because I am the happiest I've ever been in my entire life, you know, doing this, but how do I give my family comfort in knowing that this is going to turn into something um, that, you know, gives us the lifestyle that we're accustomed to? That's, that's the big question I think everyone faces, but it seems like you're definitely I'm not going to say you're 100% healed, but I don't think any of us ever are. No. But it seems like you're definitely on the right track these days. And um, it's the ultimate process. That's what we all look for. But, um, you know, uh, to all our listeners out there and our readers of Soft Rep, Sean's book, Rising Above, gets released February 23rd. I do believe that, you know, they can pre-order it now. Is it on Amazon? Please uh, fill our listeners in. How yeah, they, they could. They can get a copy now on Amazon. Um, I believe they could just go on and order it right now, and it'll ship. It'll ship they, by the. And you have a website as well where they can order it from too. Yeah, so sean seanbuckrogers.com. Um, you could hit that tab at the bottom it says pre-order and it'll take you to the Amazon page. Okay. Um, yeah, that's, we're running a sale for the, the Kindle version. If you want to dig in sooner, it's 99 cents, the first week of promotion. Um, and that's just to get, 
get it into people's hands and, and see what they think. And, uh, you know, but yeah, it's ships here in a couple of days and it's hitting bestseller and hopefully it helps, you know, I'm, I'm clearly no author, but, uh, I did my best and, and, you know, tried to be as open and as honest as I could be. Yeah. And, uh, how, again, what was that like? I mean, you, you put all your thoughts on paper and then you have to go through the editorial process and, mm-hmm. and then putting the book together and, you know, the cover art and all that. I mean, that's stuff that none of us know anything about. I mean, right. Well, how, so, what so was I that got, process? yeah, so I got the, the manuscript done. Um, the first draft, which the first draft is far from done. If, um, you know, if you if if you're ever going to get out there and write a book and you get to the end of your manuscript, the end of your first draft, and you think that you're close to being done, then just put it down for a while, take a breath and know that you're going to have to like redo it four or five times. <laughs> uh, but it got to the end of the manuscript period. And I was like, this is not going to go anywhere. Because just like you said, I do not know how to do cover art. I don't know what to do next. I don't know where to go. So um, I had to make an initial investment. And, um, you know, I spent 10,000 on hiring scribe media, uh, to do it. And they, they did, um, um, Goggins book. And so I, that's what I did. So when I tell people like, Hey, you know, there's always someone else that's done it before you. So there's no excuses. Well, I just thought to myself, like, what book did I like? And it was, I liked can't hurt me quite a bit. So I was like, well, who did that? So I went to their company and um, obviously I didn't pay them to write the book for me. Otherwise it would, it would have been, you know, a lot better. And maybe, maybe number two, I'll actually have an author, right? Uh, but they got it to the point where it was edited and released for sale and they did the cover art and all that stuff. So, um, and that was not an easy conversation to have with my wife, you know, walking in and here's this book that I'm doing for my own healing and I'm doing it as a hobby. Um, I'm still working as a police officer. I'm still doing all this stuff. So I have, no intention of like, you know, being a, an author or an influencer or anything like that. And I'm like, Hey, I need to spend, um, almost all our savings on a book that will probably not make us any money. <laughs> <laughs> you have to you think know? positive. You have to think positive. Yeah. So she was like, at first she's like, no. And I was like, and then she, she, she knows me because we we're going on 10 years of being married and she comes out, she's like, I know you, you're, you need to do it. So she's like, just do it. And you know, I was like, that's awesome. Thank you. So, <laughs> <laughs> so that I, luckily I, I, you know, scraped together 10 grand and, and had them uh, finish the book so it could actually be sold and not just be an idea that never gets completed. Uh, Cause that's something I obsess over. Like if I start something, I have to finish it. Well, one more question. Um, from reading the book, uh, you come across in the book as someone that's very, uh, not going to say religious, but faith focused, I guess you could say. Is that is that a big part of your life now? Absolutely. Like, um, I was talking about that with somebody like I'm not a good Christian, uh, but, you know, none of us like, are. Yeah. Right. It's like he, he said the same thing. Where it was just like, listen, we're we're all failing all the time. But to me. You know, and I, I listened to a lot of um, Napoleon Hill. I don't know if you've ever read his books, but he talks about just, you know, having faith and what it does for success and things like that. And without without it, I don't know. I don't know if I would be able to put all the pieces together and, and know that there's a bigger picture and that I am just a small piece of the puzzle. And, you know, I could lose everything. I could I could fail every time. But at the end of the day, um, there's more to this life than than Sean and my desires for success and things like that. So it helps me really put things in perspective and, and take the blinders off and realize that, you know, this life is not about me. You know, there's a bigger picture is about people in general is about human beings, um, you know, living forever. So, you know, I, I try to to get in the Bible and it just got just gives me so much better perspective and gives me a lot of strength. Excellent. Well, uh, to all our listeners and readers out there, Sean Rogers book, rising above a green beret story of childhood trauma and ultimate healing. We highly recommend this, um, this book, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, and I think, uh, 
you know, it's one of those books where it's, it gets a little uncomfortable at times when you're reading about someone's travails through their childhood. I mean, it wasn't the typical childhood, but, you know, when you see what Sean's become these days, it talks about ultimate redemption, I think, and perseverance more than anything. But uh, before we go, we just want to note that we have to read every time. If you want to get soft rep on your phone, download our free mobile app and get easy access to our articles, podcasts, and gear reviews, all perfectly formatted to your device. Please subscribe to softrep.com to get all, all of our library of eBooks and our exclusive team room forums and content available on all your Apple and Android devices. So for all of us here, hit softrep.com. Myself, Steve Belstrey, our uh, guest today, Sean. Sean, thanks again for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for your service, no, not only in the military, but as a police officer and uh, all the best with your book. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it was our pleasure. And uh, yeah, again, Rising Above by Sean Rogers. Um, check it out, folks. I think it's it's well worth the read. And it's uh, one of those books that once you start, you're going to blaze right through it because you don't want to, you're not going to put it down. So for all of us here at softrep.com, we'll be back very soon with another podcast. Until then, don't turn that dial, folks. We'll be back. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.